became a Catholic at the ripe age of 22. Now, it may have been the excitement of the Easter vigil, opening bowl of fire, or the thick smell of incense weighing down the room around me. But while we were singing the litany of the saints, I had a vision. Activated by our voices, saints were coming out of the parish walls, 90s video game style, a cloud of witnesses swirling around me. This cloud has traveled with me ever since. About five years ago, I visited El Salvador through my work at the Ignatian Solidarity Network to walk in the footsteps of the Jesuits and their companions at the University of Central America. <coughs> if you're not familiar with their story, look them up. But the short version is that in the midst of government oppression and a long civil war, they spoke truth to power and eventually paid their lives for it. For years, I had looked up to the Jesuits and their companions. They were part of my cloud. But there was a moment when I was visiting the memorial dedicated to them, when I came across their robes and slippers and envisioned them kicking back for a football game, not as heroes, but as humans. These were men and women of flesh and blood, part of the here and now, not some ethereal cloud. They were simply running the race that was laid out before them, eyes fixed on Jesus. Dorothy Day, an extraordinary woman and founder of the Catholic Worker Movement, was once famously quoted saying, don't call me a saint. I don't want to be dismissed that easily. And while I was ex as excited as many to see her cause taken up for canonization, her words have stuck with me. When we heroize people, it gives us an easy out. They become part of the ethereal cloud, perfectly imperfect, untouchable. I know Dorothy Day, what can I really contribute to this world? But Paul doesn't give us such an easy out in the second reading. Like the great cloud of witnesses, we too are asked to rid ourselves of our sins and burdens and persevere in running the race that is laid out before us. And so I ask you, who is part of your cloud of witnesses? When have you dismissed them because of their saintliness instead of seeing them as fully human? And what is this race that we're supposed to be running? Well, it'll look a little different for each of us, and that's where discernment and paying attention to the spirit comes in. But the first reading in the gospel have laid out some guidelines for us. First, we are called to action. In the first reading, after hearing that the prophet Jeremiah has been condemned to a slow death by starvation, the court official advocates on Jeremiah's behalf and saves his life. The story keeps it simple. When confronted with injustice, we are called to respond. We do this at the Ignatian Family Teaching for Justice each year. 2,000 students and people of faith gather in DC for a weekend of listening to prophetic speakers on topics ranging from immigration to racial justice to the environment. That following Monday, participants take to Capitol Hill to respond to what they've learned and advocate with and for people who've been marginalized by injustice. Now, students consistently note that the teaching is transformative for them, and I fully believe it's because we give them a chance to put their faith into action. When we see, feel, hear, and respond to injustice, it not only has transformative power for the world around us, but for our hearts as well. Now, the gospel reading pushes us farther. Anyone tied to Jesuit education may have smiled upon seeing Jesus's words. I have come to set the earth on fire. Go forth and set the world on fire. The words attributed to the founder of the Jesuits, St. Ignatius of Loyola, are emblazoned on everything from coffee mugs to lampposts on Jesuit campuses across the country. And for good reason. 
<laughs> the phrase reeks of excitement and potential, and it's just great to throw around. But the jarring part of the gospel reading, and I think the most telling part, comes in what follows. Jesus says, Do you think I have come to establish peace on the earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. Fathers against sons, mothers against daughters. I mean, woof, Jesus. But as I think about the great cloud of witnesses, one of the things that they share in common is that they were willing to speak truth to power, and some of them even paid their lives for it. As followers of Jesus, we are called to make people uncomfortable, ourselves included. And as someone who's very comfortable with the peace and love Jesus, this thought has always made me squirm. But I find great solace in the fact that Jesus was anxious too. He says there is a baptism with which I must be baptized and how great is my anguish until it is accomplished. We were never promised an easy journey or race or whatever you want to call it. But at the end of the day, we are called to be part of it. And so I ask you, who are the Jeremiah's in your community, in the church, in the news, in the world, calling you to respond to injustice? Where is the spirit gently or perhaps forcefully guiding you in the race laid before you? And finally, a word on hydration. Some of my colleagues are obsessed with it. Stomach ache? Drink some water. Toe hurt? Drink some water. And while sometimes I do roll my eyes at them as I chug a glass, my annual brash decision to run a half marathon has taught me that hydration really is the key to surviving the long run. I once asked a busy Jesuit how he kept up with his life of accompaniment, and he said, you can always tell when a minister's faith life has dried up. They dry up too. Now there's a reason we're instructed to persevere with our eyes fixed on Jesus. In order to stay in the race, we must continually drink from the well that sustains us, to walk with the Jesus who knows us and loves us and who hears our cries.